Welcome back to episode number 90 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff, the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, guys, so keep comments, questions, concerns, headaches, problems. I don't care what it is. I want to hear about it. You can email me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can also catch me on Facebook at the NP Dude. Can't use just NP Dude. It's the NP Dude to find me. And uh, send me your information. Send me what's going on with you guys. I want to hear what's what your problems are. And uh, because if you got that problem, chances are there's a hundred other people just like you that are going through the same thing and don't know what the heck to do. And I might not know either. So that's why I want to hear about it because I can help you maybe figure it out or at least give you some guidance as to what I would do as a licensed attorney and uh, professional business person and nurse practitioner. And uh, if it's not a good option and you guys don't like it, you tell me and then maybe I could correct. Maybe I could do something better. So it's all about me. It's all about me. That way you can help me be a better me. Um, Facebook likes. I was on vacation. I only did one post last week. It was a rough week. My other people in my office were out too, right after I was out. So I got hammered with extra patients, and so I just I couldn't get things out. But I had multiple things that I wanted to go through from uh, things that happened several weeks ago, whether it was comments that came into me or Facebook posts that I said, "Ooh, I'll, I'll talk about that one when we get down the line." And I do have some of those I want to do today, and uh, it's not going to be a super long show because um, I'm just going to touch on some things and then see what feedback I get from you guys, and maybe we will readjust and go from there. Um, first topic of the day, somebody sent me an email and said, hey dude, listen to the show, I got a great question for you, and I'm not sure how to handle it. And I'm so, ooh, this is juicy. And it turns out this individual, I don't know if they specifically have had this happen, or if they know somebody that's had it happen to them, and they are trying to figure out what, uh, what would happen in a hypothetical situation. So as with anything, I talk in hypotheticals. So even if this was this particular person's situation, I change enough of the information that it will never be traced back to you, and I do not use names, I do not use names. Okay, so that way you guys can feel safe that I'm not going to blow uh, blow it for you with a potential employer or blow it with uh, with your current employer or anything like that or get you in trouble with the state board or and nothing. Nobody's going to get in trouble. Hypothetical. And here's the problem I have with this is because there's so many hypotheticals with it, I'm not sure where to go. But I'm going to give you the general hypothetical. This is as it was written to me. Um, person is a uh, nurse has a felony conviction on their record and they're going to start nurse practitioner school and they um, they don't know what to do they, they've got this felony on their record and they're like I don't know am I gonna even get my license am I gonna get what what's gonna happen can I get licensed how about a DUI that's another felony that could be out there what happens if you have a DUI in your record and how does the board of nursing handle that? And the, the, the big answer there is that with anything, especially legal, is it really depends. It really depends on a couple main things, but you can kind of get yourself in the right ballpark as to whether this is going to be a problem for you, depending on when you got your DUI and or felony charge or whatever it was, as well as what else, what other circumstances were involved under the particular felony. So here would be a situation that I would say you're not going to be able to get your license after you're done with NP school. And, and I'll caveat that, maybe, right? Because it depends on your board of nursing. Um, say, for example, you get a felony, you're an RN, you're driving to, uh, you know, Friday night, you go out, you have some drinks, you drive home, you get busted with a DUI. Okay? So 
at that point, your state board of nursing should be notified the next time that you go and, and do your renewal of your license. You have to certify that you don't have a felony every time you redo that. So when you do that with an RN license and you say, I now have a felony, now you're on the radar with a felony of a DUI and what's going to happen? Well, it depends on the board. If the board says you got your Dewey or DUI and you went through a remediation through the court system for alcoholism and your, your DUI and you promptly notified the state board about your, your, your problem and you didn't wait until the license renewal um, and so you were proactive to you know, keep your license and keep it pristine as you could, then they may say, you know what, you're doing the things you need to do uh, to, to make reparations for you know, your, your felony. And they may say it's not a big deal. If the state board says that your RN is not a big deal, then chances are when you go and go to school for NP several years later, you're done and you haven't had another DUI or any alcohol-related crimes or anything, then you're probably going to be okay. They're probably going to let that slide. They're going to probably say, and I'm saying probably because it's completely at the discretion of the state board. They could say, nope, we're not going to accept it, period. We will not give you a license. Now, you might be able to sit for and take the certification exam, maybe not, but um, but you could get your certificate. You could possibly pass the certification exam, and then the state board would stop it and say, "No, it's not good enough. You still have this felony that we haven't we have not addressed, or maybe we've addressed it in the past, and we feel you're you're caught up to speed and you're okay, and you you know went through you know alcohol anonymous and rehab and whatever else that the state required at the time, and and they they say you got a clean slate now." So it really, 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 really depends on the circumstances of the case and the circumstances of the uh, state board. And so what would I do? Here's, here's the case. If I were an RN and I had a DUI, the immediate thing you do is you, you go through all the court crap, but you should immediately be calling the state board of nursing and admitting, look, I've got the because you're going to have to admit it anyways in a year and a half or two or six months, whatever your next renewal date is. So why would you want to wait? They're going to find out anyways. So you need to let them know ASAP and say, look, I, I screwed up, I, I, I'm really embarrassed, I made a mistake, um, I had a couple drinks, got my DUI, I didn't hurt anybody, I'm doing exactly everything that the court says, I've pled no contest or no look contendere or whatever you know the, the court system says it is in your jurisdiction. But you're, 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 you're admitting it. And that always looks better to the boards than if you just you know, wait and hope that they don't find out about it. If you lie to them, you're going to lose your license. So it really depends. If you do that, if I did that, oh, State Highway Patrolman's helping somebody with a flat tire. That's awful sweet. He's not even giving him a ticket or hitting him with his nightstick. Oh, isn't that nice? Good job, policeman. Um, but if I had that happen, I would immediately call the, the Board of Nursing and admit it. Say, I screwed up. It's my bad. I, 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 it will never happen again. I've never had this happen before. I've, you know, I look at my, my records clean. I, I screwed up. What do I need to do to make this right? And they'll probably put you maybe on a probationary period and maybe make you t do some extra something or other. And, and, and you do what they tell you to keep your license. And then what happens is when you're ready to go get your NP and you want to go start your NP program, I would be candid with the school because they're going to do a background check on you because they're going to place you for clinicals. Um, you're also going to be honest with the state board and say, look, I really want my, my life's goal is to become a nurse practitioner. I want to do this. Is there a problem with it? And a lot of times they will have guidance in their, in their, um, 
uh, in their regulations that will say, you know, first-time offenders that admit to it, uh, you know, but it's always up to the discretion of the Board of Nursing will, you know, tend to be okay. You, you probably will be okay, but you're playing, you're, you're playing a little bit of roulette because you might go through, spend 50 grand on, on an education, take and pass your certification, apply for state board or state licensing, and they might say, yeah, no, we, we, we second-guessed what we originally told you. We really don't want to give you that license. So you are really extending yourself out there, and you may not be able to get recompensated by starting practicing as a nurse practitioner. So that's kind of a big deal. That's the concern, is that you're going to go through all this education and training and, and make yourself a better nurse, but you might not be able to get you reap the financial benefit from it. So when would I say it's not a good idea, that I would say scrap it, skip it, don't worry about it? Well, if you lost your RN license and then obtained it back, and you're kind of maybe on the borderline fringe, I would put some distance in time uh, between when I had my infraction and when I applied to go to NP school. I wouldn't do it like the next year because that's not long enough. That's not proof long enough that you've been doing a good job of staying clean and not doing bad crap and getting, getting felonies. So I, I would I I just wouldn't extend that much money out that soon. I would keep working as an RN for a couple more years and uh, take some classes, you know, here or there or things like that. If you could get prerequisites out of the way or anything like that, maybe maybe I would go out and take them, you know, pay them cash. I wouldn't go put student loans down on it. Now, if you had something, and there's always, in any license, I've had a professional engineering license, I've had a law license, I've got two nursing licenses, actually three, but we'll call it two, a DEA license, I've got all these licenses, right? For any license that is out there, there is almost always a provision in their bylaws that say something along this line. If you, as a professional, do not meet their generalized quote-unquote standards of professionalisms or if you lack moral turpitude that's always there's a turpitude clause in almost every one of these bylaws by these these or, or in their regulations too and and it will basically say that if they think that you are um, kind of a shady scumbag they'll yank your license so if your your felony is something involving moral turpitude, um, say you molested a kid, or you had underage sex with a with a minor, or you um, um, beat somebody with a with a hammer, or so, you know something like that. I mean, that's pretty bad stuff, right? I mean, you're probably going to lose your RN license to begin with. In which case, this whole thing is moot. But if it's something that's moral turpitude related, and you're you're been given like a second chance through your RN license, well, they may say, you know what, you, you, that's too much. You're not going to get an MP license because we don't trust you with you with the ability to prescribe. We don't trust you with um, maybe scheduled medicines or anything like that. Then, then yeah, you, you're, you're going to lose out. So it really, really depends. What I would recommend is you call your board of nursing. If you, if you have a felony on your record and you want to go to NP school or you're a, <laughs> you're a a felon and you have an NP license and you got a new felony, you need to call them right away. You don't, you know, I mean, call your lawyer first to position yourself to, you know, in the best light. You don't call them like, you know, that minute, but you're going to get your lawyer to say, look, I need help with this, this regulatory action that's going to happen no matter what. And, um, I know in Texas, there's, uh, the one guy that's always on the Facebook groups. I'm not going to use his name because he didn't ask me to, and I didn't offer. And so I'm not going to use his name, but, um, he does that in Texas and I'm sure he's very good at what he does in Texas. He can't do that in other States though. So you guys, I see a lot of people asking him for help 
in other states and you guys can't do that. He's not supposed to. If he's helping you with contract stuff or other stuff and he's in Texas and he's not licensed in your state, then that's a big deal for him. He could lose his license in both states or is in that state in Texas. It's not a good call, dude. Don't do it. All right. So maybe he's doing it. I don't think he is. I, I, I've seen him say he can't. So I don't think he is. But I see a lot of people asking him for help, which you just can't do that. And I've had people ask me that too. That's why I can't help you for another, if you're in another state. Even if I want to volunteer to help you and read your contract, I'm not going to do it because it's going to be all hypothetical and it's too close to home. It's not worth me getting an action against me because then I lose all my licenses. Nobody wants that. I want my licenses. I like them. I like them right where they are. Um, but it, it really depends. The whole thing about the, the felony, it really, really depends. It depends on what the felony was. It depends on your state board, what their action history has been. Um, it depends on when it happened. Did it happen before your RN and then they approved you for your RN? Because if they did that, that's less evidence that somebody else didn't think it was a big deal. And they gave you your license anyways. And you disclosed it before and you disclosed it again. And you're, you know, so you're, you're completely on the up and up. Um, DUIs in particular, I know with my law license, the way it works in Ohio is um, because they have kind of a written policy. So most lawyers hate themselves and they drink a lot. So there's huge amounts of alcoholism. Not that they hate themselves, but they, they, it's a very stressful job. Let's just call it that. So the rate of alcoholism is very high. And if everybody that got a DUI lost their, their law license right away without trying to better themselves, then, um, and get a, get a second chance, then, then most of the lawyers in Ohio. <laughs> I hate to say that, right? That being said, I know physicians also get second chances. I mean, I've seen alcoholic physicians that have gotten the ability to go back, do uh, rehab, and uh, make an amends, put themselves in a position of uh, you know limited practice for a while until they get their mind right. And then they're allowed to go back to full, full practice. And uh, they should, right? I mean, people make mistakes. So it shouldn't be a one and out type of thing, but it really depends on what it is in your state. That was fun. Was that fun? It's good being back in the saddle. I really like doing this podcast, so I, I appreciate these comments and questions. I'm just having so much fun with you guys. Um, if you guys have had a different experience, I, I, nobody I know personally has lost their NP license at all. I haven't met anybody that's lost it. Um, one person on Facebook said they got nailed because somebody was putting prescriptions in, scheduled narcotics under their name, and they didn't know about it, and they finally got their name cleared, but by then they had moved and they lost their license and just kind of was disenfranchised and never went back. And um, that really sucks. That's a horrible situation. That's why I keep my script pad with me all day long. I don't let anybody have it. It stays in my possession 24-7. but I don't know anybody that's lost their license for a felony. So if somebody's out there that's had a hiccup in their practice because of a felony, you can PM me or you can Facebook message me. Uh, you can email me, Jeff at the MPDude.com. I want to hear from you guys because I want to know the particulars. I'm not going to give you any advice on it, but I'd like, like to hear your horror stories and what you had to go through to get back to practicing. That would be awesome if you guys could do that. So spread the word. If you know somebody that's done it, even send me their contact information. I'll, I'll reach out to them. I'd love to know. I just would. Um, second topic of the day. This one's a little bit of a, one of those painful ones that I said on Facebook where people were just like really confused about CPD codes. I mean, just really got it way off wrong about CPT codes because if your program, there's enough programs out there now that are kind of glossing over what CPT codes. And I was fortunate that when I was in school a year and a half ago, whenever I was in this class, 
we went through um, somewhat somewhat in-depth CPT codes and billing codes. And it was a good experience because um, I was pretty critical in my program, but that one thing I actually gave them credit for. I said, yeah, it was pretty good that they did that. And they gave out pretty decent handouts and cheat sheets and things like that so that you can at least get in the ballpark on what your CPT code would be. Sorry, intersection. Hold, please. Hold, please. So what are these CPT codes and, and what what does it mean? And if you're experienced in this, you can turn off because you guys all know this. But if you're new or you're a student and you didn't get this information in, in your NP program, stay tuned because it's, it's pretty valuable. Um, and then I'll tell you my shortcuts of what I really do, how I make it work. Because it's so confusing. If you tried to figure it out every time you had to do a billing code, you'd be stuck there just figuring out billing codes all day long. Um, CPT stands for Comprehensive Procedural, what is it, test? I think it's test, right? Um, and it's a number, it's just a number, and it, it ranges from the 10,000 numbers all the way up to the 99,000. So that's why you see these 99213 or whatever, right? There's all these different numbers, or 99978 or whatever, all these different numbers. And basically what the CPT comes down to is whatever the procedure is that you're doing. So in an outpatient setting, when it's an office visit, it's really easy because you come down to basically a couple different numbers. It's not that many of them. Now, if you do procedures, your CPT codes will range based upon the procedures and the office visit. So you might do an office visit and a procedure, and you could do both a CPT code for you know 99213 as a visit, office visit, and then you could tack on other numbers on top of that based upon whatever it is you're doing. Now, I don't get too complicated and fancy about this because most of my patients are the same kind of patients, and I don't do a lot of procedures per se. So most of my stuff is just the, the 99213, 99214, that type of stuff. So the 992 series is basically all office visits. The two zeros and then whatever the, the third number is, is the level of the, the visit, are all new patients. The 9921s, with an, whatever the level is, a three or four at the end, is the, the um, established patient and whatever the level is. So basically, here's my go-to. And I'm going to give you the go-to, and then I'll go through and give you like the explanation of how I learned it and some of the basic background stuff. If I know I'm 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 not overbilling. When you look at a new patient, they're coming into you, and for the most part, you're obtaining histories, you're getting you know information. They're usually coming to you with something, either it's an acute or a chronic, and um, based upon the time of the visit, it's usually around a 20 to 25 minute visit with my nurse time, my time, every everything all rolled up. Now it's supposed to be just my time. But if they've got some chronic background and I'm doing requesting records from previous providers and I'm reviewing those records and things, it's automatically a 99203. And I'll tell you why in a second here, how I get, a, get it breaks down a little bit more. But it, it's just basically it comes down to the fact that it's never going to be an 04 because that's like a 30-some minute visit. I just don't have those. It's not on my schedule that way. So I'm never going to be that in depth. Now, could I probably get some of my new patients? You know, I get CHF patients with with cellulitis, with AFib, with you know chronic bronchitis, with um, uh, shit, tons of other stuff, right? I mean, diabetes and hypertension and you know all this stuff. Yes, could I probably get an O4 on that one? Yeah, I probably could, 
but in reality, I'm just I'm on my initial visit. I'm usually just getting all their information, and then I'm going to review it later, right? So it's really not like it's a, that big a deal. So I'm almost always an O3. I've never done an O2. I could if it was a you know an 18 year old that's coming to me that has no problems. It's just to establish care. Yes, probably an O2 at the end. Nine nine two O two. But that's really it for my new patients. Nine nine two O three. I mean, almost 99% of them are there. I've done a couple O2s. I've never done an O4, and I'll never get an O5. You just, it's like, it's like a, it's like a leprechaun. You hear a lot about it, but you never see it happen, right? It's like a leprechaun. As far as an established patient is concerned, it really comes down to three things, and it goes for the for the new patients too. But, the, but I, I try not to think about it that way with new patients because it's just easier to just do O threes and maybe I'll underbill every now and then. But I'd rather underbill than overbill and not get us audited. When I look at a new patient or an established patient, and and basically the three main areas of things that you have to do um, to get your billing code established, whatever it's going to be. One is going to be the history. So you got to do the chief complaint. It has to happen. has to be in there. And you have to do it with um, you know, old carts or PQRST or whatever, however you learn the acronym, which is basically onset, location, duration, you know, characteristics, you know, all that stuff. Alleviating factors, all that stuff, right? Relieving stuff, aggravating factors, timing, all that stuff. And you have to put that all in your chief complaint. That's in there, automatic. The rest of your history, you gotta have some family history, um, and you gotta have, and most of the stuff's built into your template, so it's not a big deal, it's already done for you. So once they're an established patient, you have all their family history, you just review it real quick, and you got it. You don't have to redo it every time. So you can get credit for the higher numbers easily with the history. Then you have to have either a, um, in the HPI, either one to three elements for the HPI. So maybe they've got sore throat, cough, and headache. There's three. Done. You meet your three. You only need one of those to get a 99213, but you you, you got at least three of those. Well, I could have a, an acute visit, but then have them with their blood pressure out of control, right? So now I've got elevated blood pressure. I've got all these other things that you can tack on, hyperlipidemia, all this stuff. So you can have chronic with acute. And so basically, if you get to the four all the way up, above three, basically, four and higher, on your HPI, uh, then then you meet the criteria for a one-four. So it's pretty easy to do. You can get there really easily without even making it up, without like pretending to overbill it. So once you get your HPI done, then you get your family history, you get their social history, you get all that stuff that's already built into the chart. So you just review it real, real quickly with them. This make oh you're a smoker yeah okay you got upper respiratory function okay yeah so you got you got it's kind of there. It's built in easy to do. It doesn't take any time. It's and it's usually in the EHRs. So you've got other history that you got in there as well. You've got. Um, your social, we did that one. You got family, you got that medical history that's in there. Problems, you know, chronic problems that are in there. You know, if they've got migraines or something like that, you know, stuff, you know, hypertension, whatever. So you got your history. You're almost always going to meet the criteria with your HPI and your and your um, history and your and your chief complaint. Almost always, you're going to meet the criteria for a one four. So I always do it as though I'm doing a 1-4, and it just depends on later. The, the, the deal breaker is under the decision-making. That's the third thing you look at. The second thing is your assessment. 
And if you have a focused assessment, right, which is like, and I don't have it memorized exactly, but it's basically like three to 11 systems, I think is how it's broken down. And there's very specific ones. If you Google uh, CPT code, um, 99213 versus 99214, you'll you'll find a bunch of stuff out there on it. And so basically it just tells you, you know, you've got your um, your your um, head, you've got general appearance, there's one system, you've got head is another one, you've got ENT is another, uh, you've got respiratory, chest, musculoskeletal, all that stuff. So as you're doing it, there's no reason why you can't get a 99214 minimum just doing a quick assessment. It doesn't take any more time and then you chart on a couple more things, but you're always going to be able to get to a one four with your assessment. That's what I do. So I make sure I, you know, if, even if I have a, a gen, generally focused assessment. Now, if I know it's a one three, and I know my dis, medical decision making is going to be pretty skimpy, then I'm, I know I'm auto, automatically going to be a three. I might do a fo- more focused assessment, like I won't do deep tendon reflexes or something like that. If I know it's just an upper respiratory infection, then I'll delete that out of my chart because I don't chart it if I didn't do it. I just don't do it. I know there's people out there that do that where it's just, oh, well, I can see they're walking fine, they're normal, and they probably are, but you didn't do it, so you can't chart it. So I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a charter if I didn't do her. That didn't come out right. <laughs> if I didn't do it, not her, not er, right? I didn't mean it that way. You know what I meant. Those sick-minded people out there. All right. So so my my physical assessment and my history taking are basically always going to be a one four or, or better right i mean it's it's whatever's pertinent so sometimes i'll put it in there even a little bit more just so that way i have a track a record of it so in the future i can look back and say oh yeah you did we did talk about that and i've got it in there and here was the plan for that now if you put it in your history or if you put it in your um in your hpi you better have addressed it in your systems in your in your uh, plan sorry not your systems so you better have a, a have a good plan i got a policeman following me i just give your buddy props dude don't pull me over i'm not speeding or anything you better have a good plan uh that that addresses all the things that are in your hpi so if somebody says dizziness you better address it you better get a you know the EKG or halter or um you know as a medicine change or something like that you do something to try to fix it it's like throwing a ball up in the air, never swinging at it. You got to swing at it, and hit it. So those are the two main components that you already hit. The third thing is the medical decision making, and that's really where the, the rubber meets the road because the first two are super easy. So if you always do those two the same way, you know you're going to be at least a one four, uh, nine nine two one four. But it, but it really comes down to what your decision making. So if you've got an acute illness, but you've charted that you've done this full assessment, which you did. And you did uh, history make, taking, and it was you know you've got all this stuff that gets you to a one four, but then you um, you say well I'm just going to give you a Z pack. Well, it's not real difficult medical decision making. You didn't consult anybody. You didn't read a report. You didn't do labs. You didn't review labs with anybody. You didn't review X-rays or EKGs or anything like that. So there was less decision making. That's one part of it. The other part of it is is the seriousness of the outcome if you don't treat it. So an upper respiratory infection, sorry, I got my cop behind me and I don't want to blow it. Good solid stop at the intersection. Mr. Policeman can't pull me over. And so you've got, um, is he coming after me? Damn it, he's still following me. 
He wants to give me a ticket, I know it. I'm not speeding, dude. I'm not gonna do it. Leave me alone. Um, I just don't know the speed limit. I heard it's 55. Alright. So, um, your medical decision making can be pretty complex, and I'm not gonna look anything up, but I don't have any resources right here. But basically, it comes down to how much stuff did you have to do? Did you have to consult somebody? Did you have to read a consult note? Did you, um, did you have to review imaging? Did you, you know, so it's really how difficult was the decision? And it could also be how many comorbidities did you have to consider while you were doing the, 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 um, the treatment? So say, for example, I have somebody with upper respiratory infection that also has um, COPD. Ooh, there's a different one, right? So now you've got potential complication. It's, things just got ratcheted up a little, a little bit more serious. So my 1-3 is going to get bumped up to a 1-4. If I prescribe a medicine, it's automatically a 1-3. Now, I have done a couple of 1-2s, and it's basically if I'm following somebody up that's, um, you know, say a, a sick kid that comes in that has, uh, you know, an ear infection, I'm just doing an ear recheck on them. And it's otherwise healthy, no problems, no, no, no hearing deficits, no, I'm not doing any lab reports, nothing. That might be a 1-2. It's just pop my head in, pop out, look in their ear, listen to their breathing, do enough to get me my 1-2 which is always going to be really in reality about a 1.3 or 1.4, but the, the complexity of it isn't that bad, so I don't, get the, I don't get the benefit of that. Now, I have seen physicians prior to working when I was in clinical setting, and I've seen multiple people do this, and if you guys have advice on this, I would love to hear it because this is the advice I was given. If, you are, um, if you're doing your CPT codes based upon the least number. So like say my medical decision making is really a 1-2, but all my other stuff would be a 1-4, then it's a 1-2. But I've seen physicians use two out of the three. So if their their HPI is a 1-3 level, right, as far as how detailed you go on that, but your, your um, history taking, uh, your assessment, or I'm sorry, not your history taking, but your assessment and your uh, medical decision making is a 1-4, they'll bill it as a 1-4, even though their chief complaint and stuff is, is um, that of really like a sick visit. And, and they've never been audited doing that. So I wouldn't mind hearing whether you guys do that or not. Now, in reality, what it really comes down to is, is you're doing the history, you're doing the chief complaint, you're going to get the level of a 1-4 almost every time anyways. So set yourself up that your routine is based upon a 1-4, and then after that, all you got to do is just, just figure out what your decision-making is and then adjust accordingly. Because it doesn't really take much more time to do the other stuff in your EHR and then just bang out what your, your decision-making is. I know I'm beating this up, but it, it, it's very complex. It is very complex. So what I would recommend is go online, Google uh, CPT codes or 99213 to 99214. Now be careful because you're going to see with C CPT codes, you're going to see a crap ton of stuff out there because... You don't just have the 99200 series to deal with. You've got a crap ton of other ones. Now, one other thing I didn't mention was that the 99211 or the 90201, which is the new patient version of the same thing, uh, or I'm sorry, 202, are basically nurse visits. It's a non-complex blood pressure check type visit doesn't require anything from you. You don't have to see the patient for those. Those are nurse visits. But the other ones, once you get to a 99212, it's you seeing them. Now, there's other ones. I've seen people go 99215s. I'm never going to do one. It's just not worth it. The price difference that you're going to get versus the potential for getting audited is not worth it. It's just not worth it.
I'm, I'm gonna go from like 60 bucks at my clinic, 60, 70, I don't even know what it is, but somewhere around there, order of magnitude, to maybe 90. So for, for a $30 bill, I'd rather not get audited and have to deal with the headache, because I'm not gonna see that many of them anyways, a 1.5. Now what we do also do are some add-ons. So like say for example, and I'm not good at the add-ons because I don't do like psych or anything like that, but say, say I'm counseling somebody with psychiatric stuff, depression or something like that, you can get you can also bill not only a 99213 or 4, but you can do an adder based upon the amount of time that you do it and do a CPT code add, you know, second CPT code basically. I don't do them. It's not worth my headache. I just don't do it. I do some other CPT codes that are that are tied with some of the insurances if like um, I'm doing um, uh, weight loss education or something like that. There's a CPT code for certain insurances for that or if you're Medicare, you could do G codes, G codes, which are basically CPT type codes that will be for um, additional work that you do, like, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, um, if you do diabetes education or something like that, I'm, I'm just, I'm punting there, I'm not sure there's a G code for that, but you could do extra for that too. So you have to know your insurances and get to be friends with your biller, which I'm still working on, and get this information so that you can maximize your profits based upon the work that you're actually doing so you get paid for the crap you're doing. Now one of the things I saw out there was a research um, study that showed physicians that use CPT 99213 versus 99214 that 61% of physicians will use 99213s more than um, any other. And I think that's wrong. I don't think 99213s is like the fallback. You shouldn't always underbill. I think you really, if you do the work and you have your, your HPA, your history portion of it set for a 1.4 and you have your assessment portion set to a 1.5, all you got to do is think about what you're doing for the patient. If you're prescribing a couple medications for multiple comorbidities, you're done. You got a 1.4. If you're given an acute uh, illness, but they've got chronic illnesses on top of it that you have to consider for the treatment of that acute illness, it's a 1-4. It's easy. If you're going through a consult note, it's a 1-4. Uh, if, you're, if you're reviewing labs with a patient, it's a 1-4. It's, it's really not that difficult. So I don't freak out about it. I just do what I, I think is right. And you kind of get to the gut feeling of like, that's really a 1-4. But then you got to look through your chart and see, you know, do I have enough documentation to make sure I got that? Or else you're going to get nailed for fraud. Or at least, you know, throw a bunch of red flags that will get you uh, potentially audited. Nobody wants to be audited.com. That's my newest website, right? Anyways, guys, that was a fun one. I really like going through that because it's challenging and it's, it's really hard to do while you're driving. And I'm not looking at anything, so it's really, really difficult. And I got cops chasing me. I'm doing 70 now. He turned. He's probably behind me again. He's calling in the helicopter to catch me. Anyways, guys, I appreciate all that you guys are doing. I haven't seen much activity out there the last couple days because I've been pretty silent. So uh, keep emailing me. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear uh, comments, questions, concerns, problems, headaches. I don't care what it is. I want to hear about it because uh, you know how it goes. If, if you're having a problem, chances are other people are. And the more we spread the word about what's going on with those problems, the more we can come up with better solutions as a, as a, as a unit, right? A big cohesive unit. So I want to hear from you guys. Email me, jeff at the NP, npdude.com. You can catch me on Facebook and Facebook message me. You can get me through my personal page, Jeff Powers. I'm okay with it. You can get me, get me there too. I got a, new, a lot of new friends, people friending me. 
if you friend me and you have nothing about nurse practitioner nursing in your in your his, in your uh, uh, profile, then I'm not going to accept your friend. So if you haven't been been friended by me, if I haven't accepted your friendship, that's why. So if you if you send me a PM and say, hey, I'm in nursing school or you know I'm 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 a nurse and I just don't have it, I'm I think I'll 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 accept it. I just if if I don't know who you are though, I just don't know if you're spamming me or not. Um, what else? We're at like eleven sixty something. I don't know. I got a bunch when I was on vacation. A lot of new likes on Facebook. It's really impressive. But uh, we're kind of stagnant in the last couple of days. I've been quiet. So don't forget to share and like the show. That's one of the best ways to get uh, to get the show out there and, and keep people liking the show and um, help spreading the word. It's really just been a lot of fun. The other thing you guys can do to help support the show is uh, if you go onto my website, which is thenpdude.com, you can uh, click on the Amazon link. It's just a box. It's got a bunch of picture detergent or whatever it was the last time I saw it. Gets updated every now and then by Amazon. I don't. I just click to their link, and what it'll do is it'll link through my Amazon affiliate, and you can go right to Amazon, do the purchasing that you otherwise would have done, and it kicks me a percentage of the uh, of your purchase. It's not a huge number, but it's enough that it's going to help pay for the hosting of this this show and uh, pay for the, my expenses. So that's really what I'm looking for. Chronic Attractable T-shirts. It's been stagnant since I got back. I was too busy last week to work on it. I'll, I'll get back on it probably next week. It's something I want to do. So I'm going to start Chronic Intractable T-shirts. If you're new to the show, a Chronic Intractable is a fan of the show. That's the best definition. If you listen to the show regularly and you uh, send me messages and things like that, then uh, you are by default going to be considered a Chronic Intractable. And it's not meant to be derogatory. It's just, it just means that uh, you're always there and it just you never seem to go away, which means you're supporting my show. It's a good thing. It's supposed to be funny, too. Hopefully. I don't know. If it's not, tell me. I don't know. I think it's funny. So anyways, um, use my Amazon affiliate link and uh, help support the show. If you guys have anything, I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk soon.